If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 22. And this morning we're going to talk about being passionately devoted to remembering. You know, one of the things that happens in life just uh, as a natural part of what we do is that we make mistakes. We know that scripturally that comes because we chose to disobey God and that, that sin came into the world. But sometimes our mistakes are sinful and, and, and they are intended to be things that, that we do in defiance of God. But sometimes we just make genuine mistakes. Maybe you've heard about some of the bloopers that have occurred in some church bulletins. But I wanted to start this morning by reading a few and just reminding us of mistakes that we make. There was in one church bulletin a blooper that said this, Barbara remains in the hospital. She needs blood donors for more transfusions. She is also having trouble sleeping and requests tapes of Pastor Jack's sermons. Another one in another bulletin said, During the absence of our pastor, we enjoyed the rare privilege of hearing a good sermon when J.F. Stubbs supplied our pulpit. The pastor will preach his farewell message uh, during this Sunday morning service, after which the choir will sing, Break Forth into Joy. This coming Sunday, there will be a potluck dinner at 5 o'clock, prayer and medication to follow. I don't know what this says about their choir, but it says eight new choir robes are currently needed. These are needed due to the addition of several new members and to the deterioration of some older ones. Irving Benson and Jesse Carter were married on October 24th in the church. So ends a friendship that began in their school days. And then lastly, it says, ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Please don't forget to bring your husbands. Sometimes we make mistakes, right? Have you ever done that? Have you ever written something, said something that you wish you could take back immediately? You wish you could get back as soon as you said it, but, but it's just out there. It, it hangs there, and as soon as you say it, or you write it, or you print it, you know it's wrong. I was thinking about that, uh, thinking about a few years ago when I, I got an invitation to a party. It was a beautiful card. Beautiful card, and it, it, it was handwritten. It was, uh, you know, you could tell they'd put some attention into it. It had the time and the date, and it just said at the bottom, we're having a party, hope you can come. There's no signature on the card. There was no RSVP number, no return address, no place where it was being held. Now, my first thought was maybe they're trying to tell me something, that uh, they don't necessarily want me at the party. But then I began to think, what if all the cards are this way? Imagine for a minute preparing for a party and the cooking and the cleaning and the preparations that go into it, the buying of the decorations, the setting them out, the getting the table just right, the vacuum cleaner running, the, uh, the people that are scrubbing down every surface to make sure everything's right, and the time comes for the party and nobody shows up. Imagine, if you will, this Saturday morning, the Saturday morning we're going to have a big event here at the church, a pancake breakfast. Stacy has worked very hard getting that pancake breakfast together along with others in our community for the Goodlettsville Help Center. 
they have got all kinds of auction items and got pancakes ready. And can you imagine Saturday morning if they cooked all those pancakes, they got all that stuff out, they got the guest speaker here, they got all the tables there, and they opened the doors and nobody came. Well, this morning, what I want to do as we talk about the Lord's Supper is I want to talk about an interesting parable in Scripture where something similar happened. And we're going to talk about it in relationship to the Lord's Supper because I think that sometimes we err on one side of the Lord's Supper when people in Jesus and Paul's day may have erred on the other side. If you read 1 Corinthians, and there's a passage at the top of your handout from Acts chapter... It's not from Acts chapter 4, actually. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And what it says to us in there, if you read it, is about how he had to get on to them about the Lord's Supper. And this morning, I want to read those verses before we go to Matthew chapter 22, just to remind us of what we're talking about, and then talk about how that we need to make sure that when we are invited to come to this table, that we come in the way that we should. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verses 23 through 26, I think it's on your handout and should be up on the screen. It starts by saying, The Master Jesus, on the night of His betrayal, took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body broken for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. The cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realize is every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the Master. You'll be drawn back to this meal again and again until the Master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. In the NIV it says that when you drink of this and you eat of this, that's what you're doing is you're proclaiming His return. Proclaim in the original language means to announce, declare, or to shout. It is supposed to be a living testimony of what Christ did for us. Now, Paul wrote to the Corinthians because they were erring in one way. It tells us in 1 Corinthians that he writes to him and he gets on to him because apparently there were some wealthy people who didn't have to work as long as the day laborers and the wealthy people would come to the house where they were going to celebrate the Lord's Supper and they would literally get drunk on the wine that was being served at the Lord's Supper and when those that had to work a full day's labor would come, nothing would be left for them to partake of this meal. Now, I know that sounds real foreign to us because we all come together in this place and everything's covered up and it's passed out and you only get what you get. But in their day and time, they would sit around the table, they would eat a big meal, and then they would pass the elements around. And Paul had to get on to them for making the Lord's Supper too much of a party. Now, this is what I would say to you. If Paul had not instituted this as a joyful occasion, they would have never taken it to excess. And this morning, we're going to look back in Matthew because I think that instead of making the Lord's Supper too much of a party, we are guilty of making it too much of a ritual. And what God intends for us to see is that this is truly an unbelievable occasion to worship Him and to celebrate what He's done. Matthew chapter 22. If you've got your Bibles open, read with me. It won't be on the screen. If not, you can just listen or there's a Bible in front of you. Matthew chapter 22. Jesus spoke to them again in parables. Jesus often talked in parables. It is a word that just means to come alongside. It's really an extended illustration. And he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a son 
who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. It's like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened calf have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I have invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street quarters and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. And the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside in the darkness, where is the weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This morning, I want to take this parable and I want to relate it to the Lord's Supper. And I want us to see that what is happening here is God is telling us that He has extended an unbelievable invitation to us. We're in this series about what we're going to be passionately devoted to doing as a church. And one of the things that we need to be passionately devoted to doing is to worshiping the Lord by remembering. See four things that are in this passage of Scripture. First of all, we see that the Lord has invited us to a wonderful celebration. The Lord has invited us to a wonderful celebration. Now, I mentioned the preparations for the party, and uh, you can see in this passage that the the king is getting ready for the party, but I think just reading those words don't don't give you the understanding of what was happening. In their day and time, a a, a feast like this, a banquet like this, a a wedding banquet would have been a week-long affair. It would have been a party that would have lasted for six to seven days. It would have been a party where everybody in town would have been invited. Work would have shut down. People would have gotten off of all the problems they had. They would have gotten rid of any responsibilities they had. They would have left the fields like they were. And they would have come to this man's house and had a party. Now, it gives us the description there a little bit when it says that he goes out and tells them to come. And they say, they're not coming. And he says, go back and tell them all the stuff is prepared. So I want you to imagine the king who is giving this party for his son. And he's decorated it like you wouldn't believe. Anybody here been to a wedding recently? People kind of go all out for weddings, right? I know people that are planning their wedding a year and a half in advance. Things are getting prepared. Drawings are being done. Well, the king would have been preparing for this for a long time. And what he says is, go out there and tell him that the steaks are on the grill. The drinks are already poured. We've got the decorations up. The band is playing the music. Tell everybody it's time to get here. And what Scripture intends for us to understand from that is that what we have been invited to in God's kingdom is not a funeral procession or something that makes us um, drab and dreary and unexciting and boring. But that God has invited us into an unbelievable celebration. Do you know if you ask non-believers what they think of Christians, do you know the top three responses they give? That we are judgmental, hypocritical, and boring. Well, doesn't that sound like people you want to hang around with right there? 
judgmental, hypocritical, and boring. If I were to make a list of three things I wanted in a friend, none of those would be close to the top, right? I mean, if they are for you, then we need to have a counseling session afterwards. The problem with that is, if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times it's the truth. And to the people of Jesus' day, he had too much fun. And what he says to them is, listen, when you talk about the kingdom of God, it is not something that is stayed and stale and old. It is fresh and new and alive. And he says that the kingdom of God is like the party that a father has for his son when resources are not an issue and he can go out as much as he wants to, that he can spend all that he wants and he's going to have the best entertainment, the best food, the best party you can imagine. That is what the kingdom of God is like. That would have been strange as everything to people of his day. You see, John the Baptist came and he talked about the kingdom of God being a great military confrontation. The Pharisees of that day would have seen the kingdom of God like a great courtroom where you divided the good from the bad, where you divided those that followed the law from those that didn't follow the law. And Jesus walks in and says, it's not military confrontation. It's not a judicial system. It is a party, a celebration of joy. Martin Luther has said, that he never understood how Paul could talk about all of this stuff being so joyful. He said he was befuddled how Paul could speak with joy of a Christian life when he had learned from the church that life was a veil of tears and blood and sweat. He says that Paul talks about joy because the Christian life is all about joy. And here's the reason. is because the menu is so good. There are three things that I want you to remember that are on this menu in the banquet that God has called us to. And first of all is, it's a menu of redemption and release. It's a menu of redemption and release. Now the truth is that Scripture teaches us that not only is this the kingdom of God like a father who prepares a wedding for the son, the Scripture in another place will compare the very church of God, the people that have followed Jesus, that have accepted His gift, to the bride of Christ. And so in a very real way, you can see this as the very celebration that is being planned is the marriage supper between His Son and the church. And the only reason that we can have a celebration like that is because we have redemption and have been released from our sin. I went to uh, Pigeon Forge over the last couple of days and spent some time with a couple of the Sunday school classes that are in that area. And yesterday morning, I played golf. I didn't play very well, but I played. They told me we were going to go play golf. I said, great. I did not realize it would be 20 degrees outside when we went yesterday morning. The first hole, there was fog covering. You couldn't see a thing, which was all right, because when I hit the shot, I knew I didn't want to see it anyways. One of my favorite words in golf is the word mulligan. Any golfers out there? Can I get an amen there? My father-in-law, one of the things that I love about him is he told me the first time we ever played golf, he said, all right, you get a mulligan on the first tee, and then any time you need it after that. And I said, amen. I love you, man. A mulligan is a simple term. It just means if you hit a shot that you don't like and you have a mulligan left, you just say, I'm taking a mulligan, and it's as if that shot never occurred. It's wiped out. It's clean. You get to put the ball down, a new ball, obviously, 
And you get to hit from the exact same spot as if it never occurred. The thing that I love about that is in my own life, there are many times when I need a mulligan. I ask how many of you have ever made a mistake, and if I asked for a raise of hands, it would all have to raise our hands here, or you would be in charge, or you would be guilty of making a mistake for not raising your hand that you made a mistake. Right? And the truth is that in all of our lives, it's not saying you're worse than I am, you're better than I am, it's just a fact. Scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The word in Scripture, fall short of the glory of God, means that we continually, not that we did in the past, not that it's over with, but that we continually fall short of God's standard, which is perfection. And the greatest thing about the Lord's Supper, the greatest thing about what Christ has done on the cross, the greatest thing about His resurrection from the grave, is that it means that our failures are not final. It means our mistakes can be mulligans. And what Christ does is He says, I am inviting you to a banquet, and if you accept the invitation to be a part of my family and to come into this life of the kingdom of God, all of that junk can be forgotten. It's over. It is a redemptive, releasing process. It is a meal of redemption and release. If you look at the story of Moses in Exodus chapter 6 and 6 and 7, you don't have to turn there, but you can write that out to the side and go look at it a little bit later. You'll see there that there are four things that God tells Moses he's about to do in the Passover event. He says that he's going to bring us out. He's going to free them from slavery. He's going to buy them back and that he's going to take them as their own people. What is interesting is if you look at what the Lord's Supper is directly related to, it is the Passover meal of the Jewish people. And what we see there is God is telling us that in this meal we have the symbol of the blood of Christ, the body that was broken. And as a result of that, he is bringing us out of our sin. He is freeing us from the bondage that we had to the enemy, that he is buying us back from the very one that we have given ourselves to and that He is making us His own people. It is a wonderful menu of release and redemption. Here's the other thing about the menu. Not only is it a menu of release and redemption, it is also a menu that exposes our heart. Now this is the part that may not be quite as exciting because what it says is that when we come to this meal and we begin to see all that Christ has done for us, we begin to see the love that He has poured out for us, we begin to see who He is in our lives, we suddenly realize the ways and the, and the manner in which we have fallen short of His glory. Every time we come to this table, every time we take of the elements, we ought to celebrate the fact that He has released us. But it is also a moment to look within ourselves and ask whether we are forfeiting or taking for granted that gift that He has given. It is a moment to have our hearts exposed before Him. If you look in Scripture over and over again, whenever someone comes in contact with the King of Kings, or they come in contact with Jesus and His miraculous work, when you come in contact with God Almighty, the first response they always have is that they are crushed over their own sin. And every time we come to this table, there ought to be a real searching of our heart to see if what we have here is something that we've been taking for granted or whether we've been living worthy of the calling that is on our lives. When I was young and would preach around in 
local county churches in Dyer County, Tennessee. I used to begin every message with a scripture and a prayer. And the scripture that I used to begin every message with was Psalm 139, 23, and 24. And it is a very appropriate passage of scripture anytime you come to the Lord's table. And it says simply, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know those anxious thoughts that I have. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When we come to the Lord's table, we basically ought to say, Lord, you know everything about us. Reveal those things to me. You know my burdens. Take them away. You know my difficulties. Ease them. Lord, you know where I have been offensive to you. Let me see myself so that I might walk in your way. Scripture says that we, when we come to the table, ought to have our hearts exposed. But here's the last thing about the menu. When we open up ourselves, when we allow ourselves to have our hearts exposed, and we seek the one that can calm it, then we have our deepest hunger fed. We have our deepest hunger fed. What's interesting here is that what we have and see in this is that God offers us a relationship with Him where we don't have to be lonely or worry about all that's going on in our lives, that we can bring our burdens to Him. It offers us freedom from our past, freedom from our mistakes, freedom from our failures. He offers us purpose and a real intention in life. He gives us fulfillment. In fact, Scripture says that He came to bring us life and life that is lived to the full. And the thing is, that is all offered there for us and the Lord's Supper reminds it of us. So many of us, even though we have those needs, seek it out in the wrong place. Scripture teaches, as it says in chapter 22, in the first few verses, that God has prepared a great, great banquet for us, a wonderful celebration. And He's invited each and every one of us to it. And on that menu is release and redemption. It exposes our heart and it feeds our deepest hunger. But here's the problem with the feast. The truth is, and the second thing we see in this passage is, that we are often too busy to accept God's invitation. We are often too busy to accept God's invitation. Imagine the scene again. The stakes are on the grill. The music is playing. The table is set. The party is going on. In verse 4, Then he sent some servants out and said, Tell those who have been invited to come to my dinner. My oxen and fattened calves and butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Verse 5, But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants. Take your hand if you've got your Bibles open. Put a mark there. We're going to be back there soon. But turn over to Luke chapter 14. Because in Luke chapter 14, we have a parallel passage that's a little more revealing of why people did not come. And it's really a fascinating thing because we think that these people lived in an ancient time when they wouldn't have anything related to us. But what we see is their excuses and their reasons for not coming are very similar to our own. Verse 15 in chapter 14 says, and this will sound familiar, when one of those at the table heard this, Jesus said, or began a parable, Blessed is he who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Verse 16, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. You see the parallel there. 
At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those that invited, Come, for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Verse 20. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. By the way, that's kind of an interesting excuse there. I'm blaming it on the marriage already. Verse 21. The servant came back and reported this to his master. The owner of the house became angry, ordered his servant, go out quickly to the streets of the alley and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And sir, what your order has been done, but there is still room. In verse 23. Go out into the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so my house will be full. Three things that these people gave as an excuse for why they couldn't come, and it all goes back to busyness. These people said they had things to do, places to go, and people to see. Things to do, places to go, and people to see. One of them says, listen, I just, uh, I just bought a field, and I've got to go check it out. Uh, you've got to excuse me. I've got things to do with this. I've just bought the field, and and there are things that I need to get right before I go. I've got to get that taken care of. I've got places to go. Don't you understand that that, that I've just bought some oxen. I haven't tried them out yet. I've got things to do. And and one man, you don't understand. I I just got married, and and my wife is expecting me to be home. and, And I've got people to see. And what is amazing about that passage of Scripture is in this list of things that is given, it sounds exactly like people today who give excuses for not doing what God has called them to do. They've got too many things to do, too many places to go, too many people to see. Now in the version back in chapter in Luke, you can turn back, or in Matthew, you can turn back there. In that version, it's interesting because... They get so mad that somebody's trying to tell them about this party that they kill the very messengers that come. Now, there is a lot of allusion there to the Old Testament prophets. There's going to be allusion there to what happens when when Jesus comes and they kill him. But the truth is, what they say is, there's all this kind of stuff happening. We're so busy, we can't come to the party. And if you don't quit telling us about it, we're going to kill you. Now, maybe in our day, it's not as vocal as that, or it's not as... It's not as outspoken as that, or it's not as surprising or or extreme as that. But the truth is, when you talk to people and you ask them why they're not involved, or why they don't come to church, or why they're not doing what they think God calls them to do, or why they won't do this, it's because they don't have time. we got too many errands, schedules, responsibilities that keep us sprinting from the Today Show through the Tonight Show. And as a result, we don't have time literally to stop and be a part of the great celebration that God has invited us to because we've got too many things and places and people. My prayer is on a constant basis that I would never get so busy doing church stuff that I miss out on the opportunity to spend time with God's people and God himself. And I have been a part of a church, and I, even as a pastor, there have been times when I am so busy doing church stuff that I'm missing the party. And the truth is what God says is that it is time to come, and you can't get so caught up in everything else that you miss the very thing that can bring fulfillment. One of the things that I love about the Lord's Supper is it's a very 
intimate time when we literally stop and there's not tons of distractions and you can just focus on what is a cup and what is bread and and all of that thing, but you can think about the symbolism behind it and what Christ did for you. The first thing we see in this passage is that we have been invited to this unbelievable banquet celebration that God has for us. The second thing is that we see that sometimes the problem is we're too busy to get there. The third thing we'll see in this passage is that when we get there, what we'll find is the guest list is surprising. The guest list is surprising. Chapter 22, verses 8 and following. In the NIV, in a minute we'll read what's on in Matthew 22.10 out of the Holman Christian Standard. But it says, He said to the servant, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite them to the banquet, anyone you can find. So the servants went out in the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled. In the Holman Christian Standard Bible, you see on your handout, it says, The slaves went out to the roads and gathered every one they found both evil and good. I want you to think about what's happened at this party. I'm going to imagine that the first guests that were invited to the party of the king were nobles and people with money and people with prestige and people with honor. And he gets through with this planning it. He gets ready to give the party and none of those will come. And he'll say, you just go get anybody that will accept my invitation. Good, bad, criminal, not, lowly, Good, whatever you find. You're walking down the street. You just ask the person, you want to come to a party? Come on. And Scripture teaches that if truth be known, that when we get to this kingdom of God moment, when we get to the place where we understand who God is, when we get there, our eyes will be open to see that God's guest list often includes people we never expected to be included. It's the great Billy Graham that has said that in... American churches today, up to 70% of those that sit in the pews on Sunday morning don't actually have a relationship with Jesus. And one of the things that I am convinced of is that when we get to heaven, we are going to be shocked at some people that aren't there just as much as we're going to be shocked at by some people who are. Scripture says it's not... He he didn't go out and say, well, (laughs) go try to find some people and and try to stay in this kind of, this age range and this this income level. And and when you find them, if they meet our standards, you can let them in. He says, just go get anybody that will accept. And what we find is that the banquet is just a hodgepodge of people from all over, of all different kinds, good and evil, is specifically what it says in Scripture. And what we find is that we probably had some people that were uncomfortable there. Some people that weren't, the, weren't excited about being there with each other. In fact, C.S. Lewis said one of the things about church is that we must be open to understanding that everyone is invited. He says, and sometimes you know you show up at church on Sunday morning and you look around and here are the very people you've been trying to avoid all week long. He says that what we have to understand is to widen our horizon horizon of who it is that can come into the banquet. And one of the problems that churches have had over the last several years is they think that they are supposed to go after one demographic or one group of people or one kind of people or one age of people. And Scripture teaches that this place ought to be a place where whosoever will can. Amen? 
If that's not your heart, then you're not following scriptural understanding of the church. And what we have to come to understand is what God is saying to us is it's not about what kind of clothes you wear, what kind of shoes you wear, what kind of house you have, what your past looks like, what you're doing in the present. The only prerequisite for being a part of what I've called you to do is just to accept my invitation to come. When we come to this Lord's table, the thing that I love about the Lord's Supper is it reminds us that we are all equals when it comes to God's standard. Scripture teaches that if you're in this room and you have been born, that's probably a good chance, right? That's probably 100% of us. Anybody in this room not been born? Okay, good. If you're in this room, you've been born, you've been born with a nature that automatically goes away from God. And Scripture says if you disobey one rule, you've disobeyed them all. And that we are separated. And there is no difference for someone who is without Christ, who has tried to live the best life they could, and the criminal on the street that's doing everything they can wrong. That in God's eyes, if you're not perfect, it doesn't matter. In fact, Scripture teaches that before you come to saving knowledge of who Christ is, that what actually it means is that you are an enemy of God, deceived by Satan, controlled by Him. Now, we're not talking about possession or having that inside of you. It just means that you're following the world's ways instead of God's. And what that means for everyone here is that whoever will say to God, I'm tired of this and I'll follow you no matter what your past is, no matter what your present is, that when you accept that invitation to accept Him as your Savior, that moment immediately you are part of His family and you are wiped clean. And the Lord's Supper reminds us that the guest list is surprising. So Scripture says that He puts out this invitation for a celebration. They go out and they have people that are too busy. And so He brings whoever will come in. And so the guests are filling in. It's, it's all there. But there is one last twist. Verse 11. But when the king came in to see those who guessed, he noticed a man that was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he said, how did you get here without the wedding? The man was speechless. And the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where they will be weeping. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Now what in the world does that mean? Well, here's what would happen in that day and time if... You invited someone to your party and they didn't have the proper attire. It was the host's responsibility to make sure they got attired properly. And so as these guests would have come in that they would have gotten from just the streets all over, they would have had to make preparations and said, either come wearing your wedding stuff or we'll make provisions for you. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've heard about them on TV. These places that have restaurants where you have to wear a coat to go into. And if you don't have one when you go, they'll provide you with one. That's kind of the picture I get. And so the party's going on. Everybody's got their wedding thing. And one guy kind of sticks out and they think, what in the world is going on with him? He doesn't have the right clothes on and he gets thrown out. Here's the thing that we see in this passage is that the God only allows those clothed in righteousness to remain. And this is what I mean by that. He only allows those who have that personal relationship with Jesus to be ones that partake in his supper and are part of his kingdom. 
Now it tells us in Scripture that it was good and evil that came, so it didn't have anything to do with where they were. What it means is when they're given the invitation, if they try to sneak in, it's not allowed. But if they come and allow Him to dress them in righteousness, allow Him to dress them in the proper clothes, allow Him to dress them in the white that is to be worn by those that are shed, that has had His blood cover them, if they allow that, then and only then can they be part of the kingdom. Romans 13, 14 says in the message, Get out of bed and get dressed. Don't loiter and linger waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ. You know, over in 1 Corinthians, when Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper, he talks about that some of them are sick because they ate the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. I remember growing up there, our pastor used to talk about that verse a lot, and it would scare me to death. I mean, I literally had visions sometimes of drinking the juice and immediately getting sick. What does that mean? What, what do you mean I'm unworthy? What, what does that mean? And the truth is that I've come to realize as I've grown up and as I've studied Scripture that the truth is if we're all based on our own account and our own accord, none of us are worthy to take it. None of us. But Scripture teaches that when we come and we allow Christ to save us, to wash us clean, to let His blood take our sin and remove it as far as the east is from the west, and we walk in Him, allowing His righteousness to shine through, then and only then are we able to participate in His kingdom and in the celebration of His supper. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to to meet with Jimmy Henry, who used to be a pastor around this area and then went and pastored one of the largest churches in America, First Baptist Orlando. And we had a good conversation, and, and we were talking about Lord's Supper kind of things. And, and Jimmy Henry is one of those that I don't think he was original with him, but he has used it a lot, that there's the fourfold look when it comes to the Lord's Supper and that we ought to understand, and that well, there is a look that looks past, back to what Christ did for us. And part of what we do here today is we remember that he's invited us to a party, but that it cost him his own son to do that. That we look within to see what Christ is doing in our lives now and whether we're allowing him to shape us and to mold us and to make us into the people he wants us to be. That's where we ask ourselves, how is our clothing looking? How are we dressed in his righteousness? Or are there some things that he needs to remove from us? That we look around to make sure that relationships are okay with the people in this room because we shouldn't be taking the Lord's Supper if there are relationships that are broken here. And we look around to the people in our community that need to hear about His saving message. But the last thing we do is that we look up. And we thank God for what He's done in us. In just a few minutes, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as a congregation. But before we do that, we're going to have some moments of invitation. And this morning you may be here and you're a guest or you're a regular attender and you've never come to the place where you've asked Jesus in your heart. Maybe your name's even on a church membership somewhere, but you don't have that relationship with Him. And this morning you need to come and say, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's what I want to do this morning. For some of you it may be that you have asked God to search your heart and you know there are some things that He needs to cleanse and you just need to come and to, to be at this altar and to pray and to ask God to remove those things. Maybe this morning during this time of invitation and as we sing that you just want to take a moment to thank Him again for what He's done.
Maybe you want to say this is the church where God's calling you and planting you and it's time for you to be a part of what we're doing here. I don't know what God might put on your heart, but my prayer is this morning, as He extends an invitation specifically to you, are you willing to accept whatever that means? Would you join me as we pray together?